Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording still from the Long Island bunker. Folks, how fucking hard is it, do you think, to be able to, I don't know, not carry a loaded gun through TSA? How... How difficult do you think that that is? Well, apparently for Republican Rep. Madison Cawthorn, who we've talked about before for his praising of Vladimir Putin um, and saying that he is a strong man, apparently uh, he decided that he was going to go through the Charlotte Douglas International Airport in North Carolina with a loaded nine millimeter handgun. Um, Once again, Republicans, white Republicans, Republicans in general, just deciding that, guess what? The rules don't apply to me. I can do whatever the fuck I want. And while we have seen TSA wrestle to the ground people who are carrying, oh, I don't know, uh, two extra toothpaste, I've seen people be carted off into the little room because they have locks like I do and be patted down. Um, Madison Cawthorn, uh, once again, was able to just walk away with a citation. And here's the thing. You and I know good goddamn well that if any of us walked through TSA with a loaded fucking handgun in this day and age that we would maybe not have, depending on your, your hue, maybe not have even been able to leave the airport alive let alone just receive some type of citation. And I realize that these consistent um, acts of defiance by the Republican Party seem to be escalating, right? So you had a couple, you had last year, remember Lauren Boebert decide that she needed her gun because I guess Capitol Police and the DC Metropolitan Police are not good enough at their jobs that she needed to be carrying a gun onto the house floor and just bypassing the 
very, very deep screening that one has to go through in order to get into um, the congressional buildings. And the reality is, is that they never get in trouble, which is why they think that they can do whatever they want and which is why they do. And they believe that the police are benevolent and that, you know, TSA is totally fine because they are white. They are in positions of power. And so they are able to flex and know that they can flex in ways that people from marginalized communities, namely black and brown people, um, are not able to do. And that's how they think that the world should be, because they have created a narrative right? Created a narrative that allows them to be able to perpetuate lies of criminality and violence, right? About Black Lives Matter, about quote unquote Antifa. You know, what we realized, what we learned in the treasure trove of Mark Meadows text messages, aka his treasonous hotline, as our friend Glenn Kirshner described it, is that Marjorie Taylor Greene in the midst of the insurrection and the Capitol building being attacked was able to put together a whole lie, right? Being able to what? Take in the QAnon bullshit and then start to spread that around to Republican leadership that, oh, these aren't Trump supporters, even though they're clad from head to toe in fucking Trump signs and flags and outfits and all of these things. No, no, no. We got word that it is Antifa. Well, according to the FBI, right, who has been rounding up these people visa their fucking social media, every single person of the 800 or so that have pleaded not guilty, that have been investigated, were in fact linked to, guess what? Not Antifa, but Donald Trump and Trumpism and the entire MAGA faction. But that didn't stop Marjorie Taylor Greene and others from being able to spew and share lies with Mark Meadows. And Mark Meadows did what he has been trained to do. Just go along for the get along, right? Jeannie Thomas, Clarence Thomas's wife, is going off on conspiracy theories and he doesn't shut her down. You would think that the wife of a justice of the Supreme Court would have some working knowledge of the Constitution. But again, that's lost as well. I wonder... Friends, you know, as we are learning from this, you know, slow leak of the McCarthy tapes, even though yesterday that son of a bitch received a standing ovation, right, uh, by the Republican conference. And as I was watching the news with my mother, I was getting so angry as I normally do. But I said to her, you know, listen to what these reporters who are describing the standing ovation, listen to what they are doing and how they are saying it. I said, mom, you know the truth. This is nothing other than PR. This is nothing other than a coordinated gaslight that the Republicans do to say, we are a united front against this left-wing quote-unquote media, which is being bought off by right-wing fucking um, billionaires, that we're united against the media liberal left who are trying to take down our good leaders. Your good leaders are filled with criminals, right? Are filled with liars, are filled with gun-toting, violent insurrectionists. I, you know, folks, when you look down the list of those that have been in and around Donald Trump's close circle, remember he only surrounds himself with such good, good people, 
The series of Donald Trump's good, good people have all been under investigation and or indicted. Right? And so how is it that they are still able to own this narrative that it is progressives that are the criminals, that it's progressives that are the problem? When was the last time you heard, right, during the uprising in 2020 that we thought was actually going to alter the police reform landscape, which didn't, it just lasted for a hot fucking minute. When was the last time you heard about violence at the hands of progressives? I, I just want to think about that for a minute because I wrote a recent article that went up yesterday for the Daily Beast, which I'm going to get to, where I was Googling um, around about school boards, right? Because if you remember that as schools were coming back, um, and there were massive protests at school boards that were turning violent, not just in violence because of COVID-19 mandates, but violence because of this made up boogeyman of critical race theory. And as I'm going through, I mean, the number folks, the number of Google hits with major outlets talking about violence at school boards. And once again, does the media begin to pull out and tease out these stories and ask questions about why Republicans and their base have become so volatile and violent that you listen to McCarthy's tapes and you hear him talk about his fear of physical violence from his own colleagues, that you hear murmurings of Republicans feeling like, oh, I'm just backed against the wall because they've created a monster that they no longer have the ability to fucking tame. Right. But that's not how the media is reporting it. Earlier today, I saw a fucking New York Times story that was like, oh, the Trump administration apparently mishandled seven hundred million dollars of pandemic relief money that went to some random trucking company. But the title was like mishandled, mishandled the money or it was a fucking payoff and a bribe. I, I just I. I am so infuriated this week by so many things. And I find that what is pissing me off the most is the laziness and the lack of integrity and conviction of the media. Who is supposed to be the fourth state, right? Journalists that are supposed to actually be educating the citizens of this country about what they should know and when they should know it and then how they can be activated. But that's not what this kind of clickbait bullshit neutrality journalism looks like. And I don't even know if you can call it journalism, frankly, because it sure as fuck isn't. All it is, every, every single thing is just touched by the greedy fucking hands of white CEOs and their fucking shareholders and just sitting on piles and piles and piles of more money because, you know, greed is good, right? I have written about that movie, Wall Street, from the 1980s and Gordon Gecko and the fact that we are just living in a country filled with either them that are controlling all of our quote unquote free speech outlets. All of our media outlets are being controlled by billionaires playing fucking Monopoly. You have that. And then you have the people that prop them up 
which are those that aspire to be like them. You know, there is a, there was a story, an op-ed in the New York times. And it was about the fact that what is it that Elon Musk believes in terms of freedom of speech that he believes isn't happening right on Twitter right now that he believes that, oh no, 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 no. We need to just take off all the training wheels. We need to take off the guardrails and just let people have at it. And this piece, um, let's be clear about what it's like to be harassed on Twitter, written by Elizabeth Spires, um, goes on to talk about her own harassment, right? So she says this. She goes, a couple of weeks ago, a former colleague of Mr. Musk at PayPal, oh, Keith Rabios, called me dumb on Twitter after I suggested that eliminating moderation policies would be bad for Twitter's business. This is not a particularly sophisticated criticism, but neither is it harassment. However, I've also received rape threats, anonymous letters to my home address, threatening comments about my family and all manner of misogynistic pejoratives that are not printable in this newspaper for my stated positions on everything from abortion to hiring practices at startups to um, who the next James Bond should be. She goes on to write, I don't even have to write anything particularly provocative for this to happen. I once got a violent threat for a column I wrote about why I disagree with the way the Bureau of Labor Statistics calculates the consumer pri uh, price index. These are not uncommon experiences for women and minorities who speak in public on Twitter and beyond. And I've suffered far less harassment than others. It happens all the time. Twitter's current moderation policies can't completely prevent it, but they are designed to mitigate it. Twitter requires its users to comply with the term of service agreement that bans certain types of speech, harassment in particular. It also has moderation policies in place to combat disinformation. The value of these measures isn't always apparent to powerful people such as Mr. Musk, because if you're a white man on the internet, you're far less likely to get a rape threat. And you're also heavily insulated from the possibility of real world violence. I want to stop right there. Because this is the reality for so many people, including myself, that I shared with you all earlier this week, that the people that are making decisions about free speech, right? The people that are deciding what is or is not violence, right? Are those that never experience it. Like this is what gets me to my core. Elon Musk doesn't know what it's like to be called a nigger bitch on Twitter. I do. He doesn't know what it's like to be called an array of homophobic and transphobic slurs, but he does it. He doesn't know what it's like to wonder whether or not those trolls are actual bots or real people that are unhinged that are going to start, you know, going through your mail, figuring out where you live. This woman who wrote this piece said that she received hate mail at her home address, which means that it isn't just nameless, faceless bots that are being run by the Republican party, you know, backed by Russia. No, these are real life people, right? Who we have no idea how unfucking hinged they are. But you see the whole purpose 
of the town square was to be able to democratize how we get our information. And so what happens then when even the smallest of mitigation regulations are removed completely? I can tell you that since the announcement of Elon Musk, right? And we'll get to this story, the next story as well. Since the announcement of his, uh, him going to buy Twitter, which again, still has to be approved by shareholders, but no doubt will, because it's just more white people making more money so that they can oppress more people. Um, but the reality, the reality here is that it is progressives who have fled. This is, this is according to NBC news reports, right? Which frankly, I don't believe, but yesterday I lost about 300 followers. Barack Obama, who is the most followed person on Twitter, lost 300,000. Singer Katy Perry also lost 200,000 followers yesterday. And this is what NBC News was reporting. Quote, Twitter has been flooded with user reports of high-profile accounts losing thousands of followers after news broke that Tesla CEO Elon Musk would purchase the social network. The company said Tuesday that the, quote, fluctuation in follower counts came from, quote, organic account closures. What's funny about these organic account closures is that folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene saw over 100,000 follower increase, as did other right-wing uh, folks, including uh, Bolsonaro, President Bolsonaro out of Brazil. He got 90,000 followers earlier this week. So you're, you mean to tell me that legitimately hundreds of thousands of people decided to leave Twitter earlier this week, before the sale even goes through. And then at that same time, hundreds of thousands of right-wingers decided to join the platform. And you want me to believe that to be true. Do I look like I was born yesterday? It's stories like this that are going to increase, right? And so here's what I will say, because I said earlier, uh, in the week on Twitter that I don't know if I'm going to stay on the platform because frankly, my emotional and spiritual well-being is more important than being in the quote unquote cyber town hall. Not when I'm going to be called the N word and a bitch, uh, and a dyke and all of these horrific things that people of color, queer people, um, people of non-Christian faith, right. Receive on a day-to-day -day basis. And so should we Right? Because Molly Junk Fast tweeted this as well. She goes, Do you mean to tell me that we're just going to cede Twitter in its entirety to the right wing so that they have one unified space to share and spread their hate without any pushback whatsoever? Frankly, I don't know if we're going to be able to have pushback. Who knows what the fuck they're going to do with the algorithm? Who knows if they're going to get rid of blue checks, which people have worked for, right? Who has any idea what is going to happen, which is why so many folks are saying, figure out a way 
to have a platform that you, again, are not going to own because even if you own a website, it's still going through WordPress, right? It's still going through these back channels that you don't own. So whether or not you're on a platform like Meta or you're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, WordPress, or any of the other ones, you don't fucking own that content, right? Because they can shut it down, sell it to the Russians and Saudis at any time that they want to. So what are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? Do we stay and fight and be drowned out by right-wingers and stay the fighting route? As Molly Junkfast said, do not seed, right? We need to get these people back on Twitter. Do we find a way to create a yet another social media space that will what? Make some, make some splashes, but then in a couple of years also be sold? To some billionaire that's just bored, right? And wants to figure out a way to continually have their name in the mix because they're also egomaniacs. (sighs) I am just so at a loss this week. I'm going to be honest. Um, As a content creator, as somebody who has utilized social media for all aspects of my work, whether as a writer, a podcaster, a commentator on television, I have been using social media as a main tool, right, of my connection and correspondence with you all for years now. And in a blink of an eye, the musks of the world are able to put a stop to a decade plus of hard work, right, of crafting a brand, of building you know, content of building a treasure trove of work to then have it disseminate, have it, have it decimated. (sighs) Transitioning on. So you tell me folks, uh, in the comment section, uh, below whether or not you left Twitter. Um, and if you did, uh, what was your reasoning for and what platform have you decided that you would rather use? And if you didn't, uh, do tell me why you are deciding to stay. Is it because you want to fight? Is it because you want to see the shit show uh, that will transpire? What are your reasons uh, for staying? And I think that right now um, I will be remaining on Twitter Uh, I will continue to stay vigilant to the changes that are going to be made and following the news and keeping you guys up to date on um, where we end up with this sale, right? Uh, Because there are some right now that are saying that, oh, he's all, Elon Musk has already breached some uh, aspects of what it would be uh, that he would need to do in order to get through, um, get through and finalize the sale. But who knows? So switching gears, I have a piece right now that went up in the Daily Beast entitled conservatives will use the fight over prayer in schools to attack diversity. This is how the right bends the arc of history back toward injustice. So let me give you um, my thoughts on this piece and then read a few. As a former educator, I have often talked about how important education is, how important particularly public education is to our democracy. 
that without public education, which was fought for by black Americans in this country, without public education, we don't have a healthy democracy. Much in the same way that without voting, without the ability to vote, right? We don't have a healthy democracy. And isn't it funny that both of these things, both of these tenets, right? Of what used to be our shared values and belief system as American citizens are being attacked by the right wing. And it has often been said that schools have been on the front lines of our political and cultural wars for decades, right? You can go back to looking at uh, Brown versus the Board of Education. You can go back to uh, looking at the denial of lesbian and gay teachers to be in the classroom. You can go back to all sorts of things that always started with our public school system. It has also been a tool of the right that any time that they are in power to defund public education, right, as a way then to bolster up charter schools that don't have to follow any rules that can let in or not let in whomever that they want, right? We saw that post-Katrina, that Katrina, right, the hurricane that decimated parts of New Orleans, Mississippi, Alabama, that in particularly in the lower income areas, that they just redid those areas, completely refaced them and didn't put, didn't restore the public education system. Instead, they just had a bunch of privately funded charter schools pop up from all over the place that don't have any type of core curriculum. So in the piece that I wrote, um, it is based on a Supreme Court case that is currently being being heard, uh, oral arguments started this week uh, with a case out of Washington. So let me read you a bit of this piece. Conservatives have a new hero in their culture war over public schooling. His name is Joseph Kennedy, a former public high school football coach who lost his job in 2015 after refusing his employer's demand that he stop engaging in on-field player a uh, prayer following games. What he would do, um, Joseph Kennedy, who has been a coach of this football team for quite some time, is that post-game, he would go out to the 50-yard line, right, have the, have the football players from both teams join him out there, and then offer up some type of prayer. He was doing this in the locker rooms. He was doing this most notably at the 50-yard line. And when a parent complained that their child, who identifies as an atheist, was being coerced into participating in the post-game team prayers, lest they'd be perceived as disrespecting the coach and resultedly uh, have less playing time, um, the school tried to intervene. Um, and while Coach Kennedy eventually stopped leading his team in prayers, he still made a show of praying himself after games. Then he was fired. So what is happening right now? Kennedy versus Bremerton School District is now before the Supreme Court, and the 6-3 to three conservative majority seems likely to rule in favor of the coach, though to what degree still remains uncertain. So in my piece, I bring us back 
60 years to a case that if you went through public school, you may actually remember if you took history or government and politics. 60 years ago in Angle v. Vitale, a case that brought prayer in school to the national spotlight, the Supreme Court weighed the actions of the Board of Education of Union Free School District Number 9 in New Hyde Park, New York, which had directed a principal to begin each day with a particular prayer in the presence of a teacher. The court determined that the state may not coerce or pressure students to pray in a particular way to adhere to a particular faith. Justice Hugo Black wrote in the decision's opinion, quote, one of the greatest dangers to the freedom of the individual to worship in his own way lay in the government's placing its official stamp of approval upon one particular kind of prayer or one particular form of religious services. I go on to write that at a time when Republicans are pushing anti-LGBTQ legislation like Florida's Don't Say Gay bill, and Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin rode into office on, quote, critical race theory panic, the Kennedy case seems to fall perfectly in line with the Republicans' white evangelical agenda and the ultimate erasure of any measure of diversity. It's Christian fundamentalism presented as parental choice. Now, funny enough, when I was doing the research for this piece, I wanted to delve further as well into the Brown versus Board of Education decision uh, that would precede the Engel v. Vitale uh, case. And what I, I found so shocking is that in the Brown versus Board of Education, the language that the opposition was using, and I, and I hate using the word opposition when we really mean fucking racist. So let me say that. The, the opposition, the racist opposition used parental choice. School choice was the big campaign behind the, the fight to not desegregate schools. Now, what that ultimately would lead to would be white flight from heavily populated black and brown communities in urban, densely populated urban centers. All of the white folks, right? If you remember, got up, packed up their shit and went to the suburbs and took their tax dollars with them, leaving urban centers with dilapidated schools, right? That did not have the resources because once again, we tie your tax dollars and your economic status to whether or not we have fully operational public schools that don't look like fucking prisons. Because let me tell you something. There have been some schools that I have seen where, I, where I'm like, I wouldn't send a fucking dog to daycare there, let alone a child that I hope to come out educated and with pride and self-esteem and an understanding of their responsibility as citizens in this country. So we see that what the Republican Party is doing and using are the same tactics that thankfully 50 and 60 years ago didn't win out. But you see, Republicans are smart because they never rest on their laurels. They continued their whole rabid fight, right? 
against any type of progress, and they continued on. What did Democrats do? Well, we assume that because the Supreme Court is all supreme, that somehow the wizard had spoken and that everything was codified. Well, what the fuck are we learning now with the Mississippi abortion case, with this Kennedy and Bremermere case? What are we learning? That everything that was quote unquote codified by law, all it needed was a change in court, right? And so while Democrats have been celebrating all the progress that we have made and thinking that, oh, we just need to now be in a place of expansion, Republicans never let up on their campaign of regression. This is what else I say. Republicans have been waiting for the prime opportunity to rebalance what they believe to be the rightful hierarchy in this country, which enables white comfort and ease above all else. None of the moves being made by the Republican Party are happening by accident. They have always been aware of what Democrats refuse to focus on, the judiciary. Once Donald Trump became president, then Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's dreamscape was actualized with the appointment of more than more federal judges. More federal judges were appointed in Donald Trump's four-year term than in the entirety of Obama's eight years. Think about that for a moment. Federal judges have been the key to every bend the arc towards justice has made. To cite one obvious example, in Brown v. Board of Education, the Supreme Court declared the segregation of schools not only to be economically disadvantageous, but undemocratic. But Republicans blocked so many of Obama's judicial nominees, including Garland, right, that ultimately that seat went to Gorsuch, that conservatives are now in a position to reverse the arc of history and subvert the will of the people. So when folks ask me this week of all weeks, how am I doing? How am I feeling? This article sums up how I'm feeling. We are fucked. And when I say that we are fucked, I mean generationally. It has taken Republicans 60 something years to get to the position that they are in today with a six to three Supreme Court where they can relitigate some of our most historic cases from abortion to school prayer and soon up next, Brown. And then after that, marriage equality. And then maybe even after that, interracial marriage and possibly Plessy v. Ferguson. This is where we are headed. And if you remember during COVID Barrett's confirmation hearing, where that dingbat could barely string together a sentence, when she was asked if Brown v. Board of Education was settled law, she sidestepped. And that should let you know everything and anything that you need to know. Because the cases that I mentioned, right, Engel, was a unanimous decision not to have prayer in school. It won't be unanimous now. So needless to say, folks, as we head into the month of June, where the Supreme Court will roll out 
some of their most egregious decisions that are going to reshape our country know that we did have an opportunity to intervene. We did have an opportunity to slow things down. One would have been, oh, I don't know, an impeachment inquiry into Clarence Thomas to find out whether or not he was actually involved in the insurrection in some way and whether or not his decision to be the sole person to dissent against release of Donald Trump's phone records had anything to do with the fact that his wife's number was going to be in there. Or what about the investigation that the FBI, after thousands of tips about um, Brett Kavanaugh and his sexual predator ass, how about an investigation into him? These people are unqualified and Democrats somehow think that it is okay to not go to the mattresses and fight for what is right, even if we don't win. Because in that fight, you show the people that they fucking matter and that they are seen. But that is something that this current Democratic Party and establishment doesn't get. That is it for me today, dear friends, on this Woke AF. We are almost through the week, y'all. We are almost through. So take, again, your three deep cleansing breaths. Put this podcast aside and go do something that brings you joy. Because we need to be centered and grounded these days more than ever. Because the vitriol and the fuckery is at an all-time high. As always, dear friends, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. right.